Welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's reading is from Job chapter 6, and it is Job responding to the speech of Eliphaz from chapters 4 and 5. Then Job answered and said, Oh, that my vexation were weighed, and all my calamity laid in the balances. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea, therefore my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are in me, My spirit drinks their poison, the terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when he has grass, or the ox low over his fodder? Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt, or is there any taste in the juice of the mallow? My appetite refuses to touch them. They are as food that is loathsome to me. Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would fulfill my hope, that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my comfort. I would even exult in pain unsparing, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should wait? What is my end that I should be patient? Is my strength the strength of stones, or is my flesh bronze? Have I any help in me when resource is driven from me? He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. My brothers are treacherous as a torrent bed, torrential streams that pass away, which are dark with ice and where the snow hides itself. When they melt, they disappear. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The caravans turn aside from their course. They go up into the waste and perish. The caravans of Tima look. The travelers of Sheba hope. They are ashamed because they were confident. They come there and are disappointed. For you have now become nothing. You see my calamity and are afraid. Have I said, Make me a gift, or from your wealth offer a bribe for me, or deliver me from the adversary's hand, or redeem me from the hand of the ruthless? Teach me, and I will be silent. Make me understand how I have gone astray, how forceful are upright words. But what does reproof from you reprove? Do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? You would even cast lots over the fatherless and bargain over your friend. But now be pleased to look at me, for I will not lie to your face. Please turn, let no injustice be done. Turn now, my vindication is at stake. Is there any injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern the cause of calamity? This is the word of the Lord. So Job responds to Eliphaz. Eliphaz has accused him of of being a sinner here which in fairness is true, um, but essentially connecting this to the idea that he is being judged for some particular sin that's going on, and that is not true, and this is speaking to the unknown. We know because God has revealed it to us. God and the devil are at war here, and God is championing Job as this, well, champion, as this man of of great integrity and faithfulness, and the devil is attacking that, seeking to break it down, seeking to destroy Job. They're fighting over Job. So, Job replies, and he begins with that word vexation that Eliphaz said back in chapter 5, verse 2, kills the fool. Job is saying that my troubles were weighed. Uh, This is the picture of the the balance scale. So you've got um, the two trays, essentially, and you put one item on the left and one item on the right, and you try and make them balance each other. And Job is saying, go ahead and put my troubles up against all the sand of the sea. My troubles are weightier, they're heavier than all of this. 
Verse 3, it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words have been rash. That is not a right excuse. Think of the suffering of Jesus Christ. As he suffered on the cross on Good Friday, did he turn rash with his words? Think of Stephen, the apostle, the first one. Well, not, I don't know that we should call him apostle. Think of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, the first Christian martyred for his faith. Did he turn rash with his words when trouble came against him? Or the apostle Paul and all the attacks that he endured as he traveled to share the gospel from one place to another, did he turn rash with his words? We do, right? When things start to go bad, we get angry, we get upset, we thrash about with our lips and our tongue. Well, that doesn't make it right. Verse 4, Job blames God for this. He views God as his enemy who has shot arrows into him, poisonous arrows that are, that are destroying him. Verse 5, uh, a reference you might get in the house, um, animals cry when they're hungry. When you put food before them, they don't cry, they eat the food. Right? I think of the dog at my house who groans and growls at us when he gets hungry. Do your pets do that? Simple question for your kids. Here's the picture, right? Uh, the same picture in verse 6. The mallow produces not juice, but more of a, a yucky slime that you really wouldn't want to eat, just like you wouldn't want the, the food that doesn't have any taste without having anything to season it with. Eliphaz's speech was... Too repulsive to eat. It was loathsome to Job. He did not ask for it. Then he shifts gears. Verse 8, Job prays to die. Right? Verses 8 through 13. That's what this is about. He wants death. He's looking for it. That I might have my request, that God would fulfill my hope, that he would crush me that it would please God to crush me. This is one you got to talk about with your children. Is this our hope? Is it our hope that God would end our lives and cut us off? Not at all. That's the opposite of our hope. Our hope is not for death. Our hope is for life. Our hope is not to be cut off. It's to be redeemed. And in Jesus we have it. We've been saved. He's forgiven our sins. He's brought us into the family. We are his. Our hope is Christ. Our hope is in the resurrection of all flesh. Our hope is that we get to live with him forever. That is our hope. And Job continues that death would be his comfort. He would even exalt in the pain. He would be glad to go through that pain of death simply to put an end to all this. And you hear that from people. Just bring on death. They're ready for it. They'd rather die than live. And that's not the Christian perspective on life. Even when life turns sour, even when our health goes completely chaotic, the Christian perspective is still on life. And the prayer turns to, Amen, come Lord Jesus that he would return. He would fulfill that last promise to take us to be with himself, but not through death. 
through the resurrection. Now, verse 11 are questions that you can again talk to with your children. What is my strength that I should wait? What is my end that I should be patient? Job is saying these things that he wants to die. What is my strength that I should wait? I have none. I'm, I'm done waiting. I just, let me die. What is my end that I should be patient? What, what waits for me? You know, what is, what would five years from now bring that I should be willing to endure what I'm going through for, for that? Just let me die. But as Christians, we look at this, these, both of these questions completely differently. And I'm going to take your family into 2 Corinthians for both of these questions. So for the first question about your strength, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, and read together how it is the Lord who is our strength. He is the one who strengthens us through whatever it is that we endure. And then what is our end that I should be patient? I'm going to send you to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. Read those sections and then respond to the questions together. Um, what is my end? Well, that's an easy question. My end is paradise. My end is Jesus. And because of that, I can be patient no matter what happens to me in this life, even if I suffer greatly. And this has been the perspective of martyrs, Christian martyrs throughout the centuries. They have relied on Christ. They have been so hopeful, even in the moments where they were being tortured or executed, because they knew what they had in Christ. And it was that hope shining through that has led to the conversion of many in the history of the world. That they have seen the ones that they were persecuting. They have seen their hope not die, even in death. And that has given them faith in Christ. They wanted what those people had. So read those sections of 2 Corinthians. So again, chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, and 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 18. Verse 12, is my strength the strength of stones or my flesh bronze? And the answer to those is no. I mean, he's not as hard as a rock. His skin is not metal. He cannot endure these things. Have I any help in me when all of his resources have been taken away? So all of his money's gone, his family's gone, his health is gone. Does he have any hope in, in himself, any help in himself? And the answer is no. You know, he cannot save himself. We cannot save ourselves. This is true. But we have a Savior. The help is not in me. The help is from him. And the Lord delivers. The Lord rescues. The Lord redeems. Verse 14, he turns back to his friends, if he still wants to call them that. Eliphaz is the only one we've seen speak so far. But he's speaking to all of them. And it's a strong accusation. He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. He is accusing them of withholding kindness from him. And thus, because they are not being kind to their friend who is in need, they are abandoning the fear of Yahweh, which is not good, not good at all. He calls them treacherous, dangerous to him. He calls them fair-weathered in a sense. So you get the idea of the torrent bed, which the, the waters come in the spring and then they're gone. You've got ice that melts, the snow hides itself. They disappear, they're gone when it gets hot. So, you know... They're only there for you sometimes. They're not always there for you. And here, where he needed them, they weren't there for him. 
Uh, then he goes into an illustration about caravans. Um, so the caravans, if they stay on their course, if they do what they're supposed to do, things go well, right? They get to their destination, they sell stuff, they make money, they go home. Not in this case. In verse 18, they wander off the path. Perhaps they were looking for water or something for their camels. Doesn't say. They wander off their path, they perish, they die. You've got the caravans of Tima. Tima are descendants of Ishmael. Um, they are, well, they lived on the ancient caravan road that ran from the Gulf of Aqaba near the Red, Red Sea, and it goes to the Persian Gulf. So they are, because they're on a caravan road, they do a lot of trading. And even their caravans endure this. Or the people of Sheba who were known, um, basically, lived off of both raiding and trading, and yet even they fall into this. They were confident, but they end disappointed. Job's friends have come to help him, but they've left that course. And because they've left that course of helping him, they've become nothing. He accuses them of fear here, which is interesting. He doesn't build upon that. Instead, he turns. Um, so I'm not sure where he was going with that accusation in verse 21. He turns on them and essentially says, tells them he's asked them for nothing. right? He hasn't asked for a gift. He hasn't asked for them to use their wealth to support him. He hasn't asked them to save him. He hasn't asked for that. So that's true. That's fair. I'm not sure what more he wanted. <laughs> He's going to ask for it in verse 28, though. They were with him for seven days in silence. Teach me and I will be silent. Show me how I've gone astray. So he's, he's allowing them, he's inviting them, kind of sarcastically probably here, uh, to show him his fault. If he has done wrong, show me. What, but what does reproof from you reprove? They have reproved him. They have tried to show him his error, but they have not shown him his error, is what he's saying. Then he says, he, again, this is harsh, you would even cast lots over the fatherless. So you find the three of you are out and about, you find an orphan child who has no family. You wouldn't fight over the child. You would cast lots to see which of you ends up stuck with the kid. Casting lots is like, well, it's rolling a couple of stones that were stored in the high priest's chess piece, the, the ephod, called the Urim and the Thummim, and trusting that the Holy Spirit would guide those stones to land in such a way that would tell you God's will for that situation. So instead of just volunteering, you have to cast lots over this. Instead of coming to the aid of your friend, you're bargaining over who who helps. Essentially, he's accusing them of doing something shameful, that they're not they're not there to help. They don't really care for him. Just a tough accusation. They, they traveled a long way to be there with him. And again, sat there with him for an entire week. 
without saying anything. All right, he turns in verse 28. But now, be pleased to look at me. He's asking them to turn back to him. Let no injustice be done. He's asking for them to care for him as a friend. Which is what they came to do, right? And then verse 30, he claims to know right from wrong. Is there any injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate, so your tongue smacking around in your mouth, discern the cause of calamity? If you eat something hot, your palate knows it immediately. Job is saying, does not my tongue, does not my palate know right and wrong? Does it not know the cause of this harm? And in this case, I think we'd answer, no, he's actually wrong. As he turned his accusation back in verse 4 on the Lord and said that this is the Lord's fault. God as his enemy who has poisoned him. So we'll see Job continuing to talk more in the text tomorrow.